Hi, and welcome again to What's the Damage, companion show to the incredibly well-known and popular real play D&D show, Roll for Damage, except no substitute. Last time on Roll for Damage, our heroes got 10 whole seconds to breathe after the harrowing events um, in the ruins of madness. They accepted the hospitality in a very fancy, one might even say majestic mansion. Um, they had a chance to both lick their wounds and plan their next moves. Uh, there's a lot on their plates at the moment, but fate and the plot wait for no man. Onward they've set, marching towards their destiny. And their destiny might be getting eaten by a giant bird. We'll be talking about all of that right now. As always, stick around after the stream resources. I'm your host, Truth Benson, and this is What's the Damage? Welcome back. Joining me today are two of our wonderful players. We've got Tick, who plays Sinric, um, one of our lovely Shields of Twilight, and we've got Jake, who plays Oriana, our beautiful, talented, question mark, bard. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, I know this. I'm sorry, Jake. It's become a bit. We can't not. Anyway, um, so welcome, guys. Everyone is alive, uh, but there is a broken chain. And when we left off, you're all getting chased by a big old bird. What's the damage, folks? Birds are stupid. <laughs> I think Oriana might disagree with that. Uh, the only good big bird is yellow and in New York. That, that's what the damage is. Is that where Sesame Street is canonically in New York? I think so, isn't it? I mean, it makes sense, I but fact check or look this up, please. We don't have a fact checker. I'm going to look it up myself like after the show. Anyway, um, <laughs> that is in New York. Um, the joke was they live in Alphabet City, which are uh, I in the Sky Serenity said. You really got to mic her up. Anyway, um, so so we didn't get to talk to you two directly post the boss fight. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your like impressions of that fight, which was very cool and had two demons. Um, do you remember it? It's been like a little while now. 
it's been 87 years. Right. So many. Um, a lifetime ago. Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I really like that fight, in all honesty. Um, I think we finally, like, found our groove as players together for, you know, a single combat and managed to get everything going. There were still a few things that we probably could have done better in the long run, but for the most part, I mean, we got out, we got out of the boss fight without anyone dying. That's pretty impressive in my opinion. Um, Considering uh, what happened two fights prior. Oh, well, we got a new friend out of it. We did. We did get Mm -hmm. a new friend out of it. I mean, did we? They're, They're already like gone. Champion? Oh, he's a party member. That's not friend. <laughs> You're only colleagues. Sorry. He's, he's, he's a casual acquaintance. Cynic refers Sin's to him like, as not Dobby. Friends. What the fuck? Yeah, hey, you, undobby. <laughs> I think we know him for like, what, two days, three days mm-hmm. game time now? How long, how long has it puppy. been in the game, actually? He's a puppy, though. I, I think it's. It's been like. Yeah. There was a um, few days of travel, right, after we found him? Yeah. No, it's been a week. Yeah, I, I thought you met the uh, the the druid guy we found in oh, the temple. Yeah. <laughs> that guy was great. He's left a big impression on all of you. Obviously, if that's where your brain went. <laughs> anyway, so I mean, how? I'm sorry. Oh, I was gonna say. I mean, he did survive in the maze of madness for a few days at least on his Very own, impressive. no food or Very water. Impressive. You know that that is strength of character. Uh, strength of mind, mental acuity, is that the right word? Is acuity the right word? I don't think it is. Anyway, so it's Tick. What do you think about the whole fight? We, we got to kill some demons, so it was all good. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, it, it, it was actually a decent fight because most of us did kind of come together and kind of synergize mm-hmm. and as a unit. And not just like, okay, do this. Okay, go do that. Okay, do that. Mm-hmm. We, we all just kind of had almost like a centralized goal, even though that goal was pretty much not die. Um, but for well, the most part, man. it meshed re- uh, really well. And yeah, for, for I think one of the few times, almost all of us were all 100% on the same page. Yeah, it can be really fun when like a party just comes together during a combat, like you're calling your shots, you're communicating, it's like a well-run kitchen um, with more mortal danger. Not that much more mortal danger, but you know, a little bit more kitchens. Watch out for knives. Um, cool beans. So, um, so how were your characters feeling like directly post the boss fight in character? You had a little bit of time to rest and kind of assess. Please assess out loud. Hmm. Um, I think Oriana was a little too distracted by just the fact that she wasn't dead. Um, if that makes any sense. Um, <laughs> Just kind of the fact that they got out of there with, you know, alive and dealing with this super strong demon that she's never even heard of or seen anything like before. Um, it kind of really doesn't didn't hit her, I think, until probably she was in the mansion that, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, we technically lost because the chain was broken. Success. 
success but at a cost sure let's go with that um but yeah i, I think she was just too happy that you know we didn't die i think which is kind of a weird thing to say after going through something like that but you know she fully expected that somebody was gonna die not dying's good and you have experienced uh character death in recent memory so i mean technically you did die for a second. Well, I, I, yeah, only for a second. I'm just going to answer that question someday. I don't think you will, man. Um, <laughs> but so actually, yeah, let's talk about that. Oriana did die briefly. Yes. Um, death by goo. Just puddings. Me and, me and puddings, man. Me and puddings. Me as a player in puddings. <laughs> I can I can see our DM's face, <laughs> just. Hey, it's pretty neutral, that. actually. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like well, a. What are you gonna let's do? Just say, this, this just isn't the first time that I've had a character die to black puddings with uh-huh. Serenity at the helm. <laughs> um, She's making very funny faces right now. Yes, yes. audience. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I actually asked her. I I think like the next day, like was Oriana dead for long enough to see anything uh the i believe the resounding answer was no because she was only dead for like six seconds Mm -hmm. um which was almost like one of those things where like for her it's like it's just like she went unconscious essentially um so when she kind of came back to it her first instinct was oh hey look it's quinn can we talk about that problem now you know she's just she didn't really feel any different. So it was just, you know, hey, oh, hey, you're, you're, you're sitting next to me. Can we, can we talk about yeah. that? <laughs> My God. So is that a bit, or does Oriana generally want to have that incredibly awkward conversation, which is not going to go the way she wants it to go? Just both. predicting that right now. Both. Uh. It, it, it is both. It is a running gag at this point, I feel. But she also seriously wants to talk to him about it. Um, Why? again because it's technically her first kiss but she didn't get to experience it mm-hmm. so in reality she just kind of wants to let him off the hook but he's being so bothered about it that she just can't help but tease him about it like she just wants to say hey it didn't mean anything pat you know pat him on the shoulder let, let's get back to work that's what she wants to do but <laughs> quinn's too <laughs> embarrassed to talk about it so she's got it's become it's becoming more of a thing the longer you go without mentioning it exactly it's pretty funny okay uh i i'd just say almost bury that i mean just kind of move past it you were no it'll be one of those things where (laughs) you know go on it'll be one of those things i stopped talking about it for a while and then like 20 sessions later hey quinn (laughs) We'll just, the next time we're in town, we'll just uh, I'll, I'll work on some sleight of hand checks to you know get you and Quinn drunk together, and there we go, problem solved. You can have that horribly drunk, awkward conversation. Have we seen drunk Quinn? Have we not? I don't think we have. Though to be fair, next I think town. The only, I think the only drunk people we've seen are Sinric, Dobby. Also I mean, I got high. Yeah, I mean, no, yeah. Drunk. I, I was splayed yeah, out drunk, drunk, but 
you know, that was because I was dead and, you know, failed. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Cindric's drinking problem, um, it was very funny to try uh, to see him trying to like smuggle uh, alcohol out of the Majestic Mansion. You know, you gotta take advantage to uh, stock up supplies when you can. Right? Just refill I mean, the flask. Yeah. It's not like I was trying to take, like, handfuls of stuff out. Plus, you gotta test the boundaries of what things can do. A true scientific mind. Never really <laughs> seen this mansion before. It was a pretty cool mansion. I mean, we, we might have heard the phrase, everything we uh, take with us will, you know, disappear, but did that really register with everything going on probably not uh, who knows who knows um yeah so i kind of want to talk not about anything specifically from that from the episode but i want to kind of check in with both your characters since this is kind of the end of what i'd call the first major arc the first major overarching arc of the of the campaign um, with the first, or with a chain broken, and you guys moving on along with a greater understanding of what's going on, a lot of cool new powers, a lot of cool new friends. Um, just like, can you trace for me the character development of your character from point beginning to point now, starting with Tick? I have to say, I'm just as a character just on the verge of starting to have like a character development after yeah, we're not quite at your backstory yet but it's conversation coming. because i mean after all this time i can't really say i've bonded with any of the group members as far as what's going on i mean i i know we've you know, I've tried talking to Oriana some in like one of the cities, but that was more like a one-off because, you know, it felt like she needed it. Not exactly the kind of person to shy away from, you know, a helping situation. Mm -hmm. If that helping situation is not going to get me killed and, you know, trying to cheer someone up in a bar doesn't seem like that situation. Yeah, I know I was joking earlier about Cynric being like, you're all just work friends <laughs> but that's kind of been his attitude towards the party I think yeah it, and I think that has a lot to do with the backstory of trying to keep everyone at distance and keeping mm -hmm. everyone at bay and you know I, I don't want to get to know you because inevitably you're either going to die or leave and I don't want to deal with it you know what that's been true so far yeah I mean hey but you know now there's things to think about on the horizon and you know hopefully that does lead to different developments and we did get that little sprinkle of backstory with um, Sinric's conversation with Liz. I'm actually really excited to see what Sinric's deal is to have that be explored in the narrative because he's such, um, well, would you call him private kind of, I'm trying to think of a word which means closed off but isn't like negative. He's just kind of put together. He, definitely not private, but you know, no one has asked him personal questions he doesn't not, not someone to divulge out. information yeah. if you don't have to i mean plus it's from a time you really don't want to think about so why do you want to keep going into it fair cool beans anyway jake i know you're dying to talk about this oh gosh uh it's weird because we've only really gotten hints at oriana's backstory so far but i feel like she's 
maybe had some of the most growth. I don't. I would. I don't want to say the most growth because uh, I can't speak for uh, Quinn, Baltaim, and uh, Perry. But she's definitely up there. She's gone from this sort of almost wanderlust kind of personality of I want to travel just to kind of see the world and learn the truth and all that kind of stuff to really sort of questioning what is the purpose of her wandering? What is, you know, what is true, so to speak, like with her her uh, message that she got from uh, Avonhurst? Uh, well, that too. Um, so she's really started to focus on sort of unraveling mysteries, essentially. She wants to learn more about the arcane. She wants to understand her magic better. She wants... Um, you know, figure out the truth behind uh, her homeland because her perception and the reality and other people's perceptions are not matching up with anything. So she feels like she's getting all this information, all these different versions of the same story, and she wants to try and figure out, well, what, where is it? Where, what does it all mean? And then, to top it all off, she finally learns how to say <laughs> you sending and she calls her mom and her mom basically has no reaction to a voice being projected into her head i mean people are aware the sending's a thing aren't they yes but to kind of lift back the curtain a little bit oriana didn't realize her mom was a was a mage at least not in any different like than tieflings and their natural mm -hmm. uh, magics that's like the limit that she thought her mom was capable of because her mom never showed her magic she didn't learn anything from her mom yeah except you know music maybe but you know i read somewhere that the most disturbing part of becoming an adult is realizing that your parents are people with their own lives that you don't know about. <laughs> so I think that's kind of Oriana's, um, a bit of Oriana's character arc, she's growing up. Yeah, yeah, Oriana realizing her mom may or may not be a mage of some description is a little unsettling for her. Um, I'm sure it'll get more unsettling before we're done, cool. <laughs> Um, bah, 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 bah. Okay, so um, the last episode was a little bit of a quieter episode. You got to hang out in a mansion, uh, smuggling booze and bacon unsuccessfully from one point to another. Was it nice to just have a little bit of downtime coming off of this big old fight? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was kind of hoping it'd be more of a downtime and not, you know, trying to be killed by a giant bird, but, you know, beggars can't <laughs> be giant choosers. frogs. <laughs> Hey. Uh, yeah, it, I, I feel like you you really need that sometimes in a campaign where you've kind of you've completed the arc, you fought the the bad guy, you've um, beaten the boss level or whatever. Um, you need that sort of reset for your character, not just not just because they would need that. I mean. Mm -hmm we burned through a lot of our abilities and powers and things like that. So naturally our characters would be experiencing some level of exhaustion, but just as that sort of mental reset as a player of a, okay, we don't have to strategize all of our spells and all of our casting and all of our turns or anything. We get to just 
have some Something time in the mansion to just do what we want. Yeah, so normally like the purpose of behind the DM current, the purpose of a downtime um, episode like this one, like your, your bathhouse, bathhouse episode, your beach episode, your whatever episode is like party bonding and role play. Do you feel like you guys have bonded more as a party post? I feel like the bathhouse was probably the closest we've gotten to all being like a, a relaxed, relaxed cohesive, communicating unit. Um, even in the mansion, we were all in our own individual rooms, and it doesn't exactly, you know, probably for the better. But I mean, if he did it, he probably would have had a point of his of exhaustion because he was, you know, spending the night licking the floor. And I wish that I didn't say that, oh, but I mean, <laughs> it happened. Delightful. <laughs> I, I I think. Um, if we find more moments where we are like having downtime together, then those situations kind of become almost forced upon the group. And that mm-hmm. kind of might be what's needed and to kind of move like character relationships along. I don't mean like romantic relationships, but like we're together. <laughs> yeah. I'll speak for yourself. I mean, just because you got a thing for redheads. <laughs> uh you don't i don't shift it i'm sorry <laughs> i know to pee oh boy oh boy anyway besides obviously orion is having a massive love affair with these telerics okay come which, on which now. which brings us to our audience question oh no yeah. why is it about the telerics because you brought this upon yourself, my friend. You really did. <laughs> okay, this is a question from Haley Highway 11. Thank you, Haley, for um, sending in this question. This is for Oriana. Um, the question is, what is Oriana's strong connection with the Telerics? Is it because they're, um, the other two were lost and they were a great mode of transportation, or does she just have some kind of connection with birds? Is it a new connection? Or has she had this connection since she was young? My addition is, why the fuck is she so obsessed with birds? Okay. Um, so let me, let me answer as a player first. Mm-hmm. Um, the birds thing wasn't really intentional at first, but the fact that she is attracted to birds, birds are usually a symbol of freedom, and she felt very confined as a child. Mm-hmm. So that's part of it. But in character, she, I mean, she grew up with certain standards. You know, her parents wouldn't let her go out and play in the mud or anything like that, for example. Um, so naturally, part of that in my head is that she never really had pets, like maybe a goldfish. So having these be- big, beautiful birds with all these brilliant colors of feathers and everything. And, you know, she can walk up to them and, like, scritch them, and they go, and then they just kind of act all cute. That's amazing to her. She just wants to enjoy that sort of sensation of, you know, having a connection with a, with an animal. Um, and that's really all, all it is. Like, it's, it's not that she's, like, obsessed with birds, I would say. It's just she's never had a pet before. So do you think you're going to invest in either speak with animals or find familiar? 
contemplated find familiar. Um, Little birdie. Speak with animals, probably not. Um, Since sending is apparently the same thing. Sending technically works, and she would only want to talk to the birds at like the end of the day when she knows you know, we're not in trouble of running into, say, I don't don't know, a giant bird chasing them as they run across the desert. It could be a giant owl coming at you at night, just saying. Speak with animals um, technically would be a ritual. Oh, but wait, you're a bird, so... Yeah, it it would cut into my known spells is the problem. Mm -hmm. Um, what, What I really regret is not thinking about that at the time she identified the ring of animal influence, because then she just could have been like, oh yeah, it's just a ring, it's just a ring, guy. <clears throat> don't worry. Um, yeah, it's just shiny, you know? But, uh, it's only shiny. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think if for some reason Perry ever dis- the ring anymore, Oriana will probably take it and use it to speak with animals every now and mm. again, just to, just to talk to them. This is what finally gets Oriana to betray the group. Um... <laughs> <laughs> for a ring. They have this. Um so is Oriana gonna befriend this giant bird chasing you right now? I mean I don't know if you can technically. I want you to try. I really don't. I was like I I wield no influence over character choices. You should do this. <laughs> I mean I have a few ideas of how we can deal with this bird. Not to go into like spoilers or anything, but mm-hmm. I I don't think we're going to become friends. I, yeah. I think that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> it could happen. Um. Anyway, actually, uh, speaking of the birdie, I thought it was really clever when you guys like tossed out the the leg that Cynric had gotten. Like that was a genuinely good idea, and I was disappointed that it didn't seem to work. I think you should have got a persuasion roll for that. Anyway, well, um, it worked somewhat. It works now, it's, now it's got a leg in the tail. Yeah, now it's only got the one claw. So it can only do one claw attack, maybe. Um, yeah, but I actually wanted to ask Tick, like, Sinrin had not previously struck me as, like, the trophy-taking type. Was he just feeling the whimsy? I seriously wanted to try and eat it. <laughs> just just cook it over a fire. <laughs> I mean, they looked like frogs. They you know? look like frogs. <sighs> I mean, frog legs are good, man. You know, cook it, you know. Yeah. But hey, it, it, it all worked out that I grabbed it. It, it, sure it actually did. played a good role. The, the irony being, we now wish you had taken more. <laughs> yeah, right? You needed more of that. Y'all tried to stop me. Okay. Um, so, Jake, back to you for a second. Uh, this question is supposed to come Sometimes, so I can, like, as I'm watching these streams, I can absolutely sense you dying inside every time Campion does something science-y, mm. but it is deeply funny to me how Oriana and Campion have mutually decided that the other one is, like, magically illiterate. It's so funny. <laughs> uh, it, it is quite odd that our characters are a little bit similar, but polar opposites at the same time. Um, I think that's probably because Jay plays uh, Campion more like a scientist than a caster. Mm -hmm. 
So for Oriana, it comes across less as he's using arcane methods and more of he just is very inventive, which is kind of the idea behind the Artificer class. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, what if you could cast spells without using magic kind of kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it is kind of weird that Campion, in my opinion at least, that Campion has sort of developed this idea that Oriana doesn't understand magic. Um, because it's partially true, you know, it, her magic is not a learned ability necessarily. It's not intelligence based. It's, it's her influencing, if you go by like the standard bard trope of they use their personality to affect the world around them kind of. Uh, but don't bard, bards are a book learning class though, aren't they? Kind, kind of? Because you have colleges of bards that kind of like, I, gives an academic bent. I I, yeah, yeah they, they are charisma class, mostly in the but like, like DMs, but mm. I play Oriana more like she has studied the magic and has adapted it using her bardic magic uh, into songs. So, like for example, she saw Quinn cast Sending. Mm -hmm. So when she got the chance to take new spells, she worked out how she could do that. Same with when she hey, took hi, Elder. Mom, it's been a while. Um. <laughs> Oh my I God. should be I, canon could, from now on. <laughs> I'm sorry, I ran away. I have a lot to tell you. Yeah. Oh my God. Sing if, your sendings. If I had oh any God. sort of talent, I totally would. Um, but uh, it was the same sort of thing with her magical secrets when she got that um, at the last level up, I think. Mm -hmm. She took Eldritch Blast because she's seen Baltaim use it. Ooh and sees how it's a useful attack spell that can, she can use at range so she doesn't have to be close because she's super squishy. So she adapted it into you know her magic and managed to use it. Mm -hmm. um, so I play her more like a book learning kind of caster, but at the same time, it's more through her performance. It's her using her music to influence the world um, to benefit her in a way. That's at least how I, I see it practically. Neat. And Cindric just hit stuff good. You know, I'm like a yo-yo. I mean, but you you do hit stuff real good. Yo -yo. And, and then I get hit, and then I go down. And then I bring you yeah, back yeah, up, yeah. and you hit yeah, again. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a tub-bumping song. That's <laughs> great fun for everybody. Okay, awesome. Um, So we're going to move on to our topic for the day, which is kind of I know it's a little bit of a complicated topic. I couldn't think of like one sentence to describe it. So I'm gonna try. This is about cheating, but not really. Um, so most people do consider like 5e to be a mechanical improvement, um, made like D&D both easier to understand, easier to play, easier to get into, more flexible, blah, blah, blah. But sometimes mechanics just don't allow you to do the stuff you think would be cool. So now today's topic, homebrewing which is one solution for this issue it's more on the kind of in-game split-second rules edits that we make for the sake of plot and that's as simple as I could get it um, it's about bending the rules for the sake of the story essentially and this is a, a dm focused um uh mostly dm focused 
topic. I know you've both DM'd before, so that's why I want you guys. Ronnie was on last week, so I couldn't ask her. But when a player does this, is cheating, to be clear. When the DM does it, it's okay. Um, so the first question is, how do we feel with the general, about the general concept of like some mild rules bending for the sake of fun? It depends on the extent. I mean, you have, you know, what's kind of like alluded as the rule of cool when it comes to D&D. &D. And I, I think if, uh, if you get to a point where players feel like they want to do something that is within their realm of capabilities and even, you know, succeed on making that role and, oh, well, I'm sorry, but the rules don't state that you can't do it. It, it does become disheartening mm -hmm. um, in some cases. So, I mean, it, it, it's about a fair blend and when knowing, you know, when to apply, like, you know, for example, that rule of cool and when, you know, to kind of bow more towards the rules. But, I mean, even to answer kind of like on the topic, if I remember correctly, the player's handbook, like one of the first things it says is that, you know, the, the DM has the final say and that the rules mm -hmm. are kind of like a guideline to mold the experience, not the end all definitive say yeah also sorry there's like a giant bug in here i'm trying to see if that's a bee or just a fly go away go away go away go away okay go, go ahead jay go ahead <laughs> could be a bat uh, uh i kind of feel the same way as as tick does which is you know that whole rule of cool always kind of applies to me um there are some instances where the rules just get in the way of the fun. Um, you know, if if you're talking about like my my, my go-to example for this is kind of the how would you like to kill this or the how do you want to do this or you know whatever whatever the DM wants to call it the the moment where you get to do whatever the heck you want despite the rules because you've rolled enough damage to kill the the monster technically cutting off something's head probably should require some kind of skill check, but you've killed the monster. What does it matter? You can do what you want to it. Um, you know, other instances, um, uh, like Oriana's magic, for example, we t we've talked about it on in game before where um, her Eldritch blast is made by strumming a chord. So, what happens when she rolls a natural one on the Eldritch Blast? Oh, she, you know, screws up the chord. Or she plays out of tune or something. I don't know. That's flavor, though. That's not rules bending. Okay, fair. Fair. <laughs> I mean, um, I, I'd kind of argue that's kind of on a similar line, because, I mean, even, like, when it specifies certain spells in the uh, whatever, that DM guide, um, mm -hmm. it does kind of specify what the spell is and kind of give that description of it. It does, and I hate and that. <laughs> you still are kind of changing it away from that. Which, which I mean, is less like a serious thing, but mm -hmm. still kind of applies to that rule bending, I would say. Okay, yeah. I guess At I least have. in my opinion, I mean. No, I think uh, you're right. Um, it's like very mild yeah, rule bending, but you are going directly against something that's in the it's book. It's on the border yeah. of like a technicality, but you, let's put it this way: there are some purists out there who would say, "Oh, that's not how it works." Yeah, and, I've and... played with those people; they're very terrible. <laughs> yeah. No, they're they're fine, but like honestly, like the first D and D character I ever played was. 
a wizard and I think I was doing like burning hands or something. And I was like, oh, it looks like this. And I think that's cool. Uh, Cause I rolled really well on damage and the DM literally interrupted me. And I was like, actually, this is how it works. And I was like, oh, okay. That's not fun. <laughs> Why'd you do yeah. that to me? Yeah. I, I, I thought of a, the... sorry, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Okay. Uh, I actually thought of another example in another game uh, run by Serenity RDM. Uh, I wanted to play a elemental sorcerer, a, a sorcerer who relies on one element for character purposes. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that, well, how do I get to that? Because there's only X amount of spells that do this type of damage. So I worked it out with her where there are some other spells or, or some of the spells, like I, I think I had... Um, uh trying to think oh uh fireball instead of fireball it was ice ball and it did cold damage instead of fire damage uh, things lucian? like that yeah it was lucian yeah uh -huh. I, I don't know why i'm talking about this character like you don't know this character i <laughs> mean the audience, the audience doesn't know so like, <laughs> true, it's true. um but yeah i was playing a an ice wizard and the whole premise was well there's like five ice ice spells in the game so what if i had all these other spells that are the same spell, all I'm doing is changing it to ice. And the idea, and part of the reason why we discussed this as, as an option was, okay, yeah, you're bending the rules because you're, you're using damage types that aren't supposed to be used here, mm -hmm. but I'm also limiting the amount of damage types I can deal. So it kind of trades off in rule sense. Yeah, so that's kind of homebrewing your own class a little, a little bit. A little bit, yeah. yeah. But it, again, that's not something that's really accounted for in, you know, vanilla rules of well, what if you want to be a caster who only casts one type of magic? Yeah, and that's something I do like about D and D is because like homebrewing is kind of built into the game. Like, they don't directly say you should just make shit up, but they pretty much say you should just make shit up if you wanna. Um, anyway, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of the point of it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's to play a game and to have fun playing a game. It's like, they're very, I think they're very clear that this is a game of improv and math, <laughs> and thus, that's just how it goes. Okay, so um, sort of on the converse side, like, no one likes a rules lawyer, but how far is too far to bend mechanics? Is it, like, purely situational? Are there some things that you would absolutely never do? I think um, the extent of that is um, more from like a DM side. I would yeah, say from a DM side. almost like um, even if you do end up bending rules and like, you know, even going on the topic of fudging roles and stuff like that, never tell the party that oh, that happens. That? No. And I think that would kind of be where I draw the line is never tell the party if something like that happens. Um, because it sets that kind of expectation and it takes away the fun and the choice and the consequence of the party. And then it just kind of, you know, for me, from there, it all just goes downhill. Like, if you know that a dice was fudged or a rule was bent to, you know, have a particular outcome, you're just going to be like, okay, well, I mean, there's no consequence. The rules are just going to get changed. So you're just going to start doing either, you know, steering into the skid and doing more and more outlandish and stupid stuff, or you're going to become disinterested. Keep the DM screen up, folks. I mean, that's... Unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, 
I feel like it, it's going too far the moment that there's bad faith associated with it, whether it's a player or a DM doing it. Um, you know, if, if, if a DM is fudging their roles to, you know, actually hit the characters or something because, oh, well, I, I just want this character to go down in this fight then that's a little bit bad faith. That's not in the interest of story anymore. That's just, you want to be a really mean DM to this character. Or in the terms of like a player, I had a player once who, you know, wanted all these concessions for his character. And at first they were like minor things. Like I, mm -hmm. you know, want to be like a half animal hybrid. Okay, well you're playing this race. I'll allow that for flavor purposes. Oh, but, but he's part monkey, so I want his feet to be able to hold weapons. No, 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 you can't do that. And things like that. Like, he just started, like, asking for more and more and more. And there was a point where it just got so bad faith what he was trying to do with the character that I just had to ask him to leave because it was he was just pestering and pestering at that point. Um, You're like, sorry, I can't homebrew you a whole race. <laughs> Well, I mean, Which it wasn't even DMs that. DMs can do, but like, yeah, I mean, it, it was. It. Yeah, I mean, Question it was is, everything. Did they at least have a good agility? Because if they had good agility and could maintain Next. balance, yeah, dexterity. My bad. Yeah. I mean, it, it it it's it was just it was weird. I, I could go for like hours on that guy. He was a really weird player. Um, but yeah, it, it, long story short, as soon as bad faith is involved, as soon as it's not in the interest of story or in the interest of character development. Mm -hmm. And like, I think players will sense if like a DM is deliberately fucking them over with stuff and that makes it very not fun for them. Um, yeah, so let's go back a little bit to the rule of cool, which both of you mentioned and which I think is one of the um, foundational rules in D&D, but how sacred do you consider the rule of cool to be? I, I can't say it's sacred. It's something that should be kind of taken into consideration when making decisions. Mm -hmm. But, you know, on, on the same token, as cool as it would be to punch someone and launch them to the moon, I mean, the rule of cool would not cover that. I mean, so, cool no matter, I, I would say realistic coolness. not even realistic, but within reason, I think would be fair because, you know, we are playing a fantasy game after mm -hmm. all. Within you the know, fantasy coolness. Yeah. I, I think within reasonable expectation, not like, you know, insanity levels. Yeah. I would agree with that sentiment as well. I, you, it has to be grounded in the in the in the physical, well, the physics even of your your world. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you can kill the stone golem by punching it, but you're not going to shatter, you know, the entire leg of the creature with just one punch or something like that. You're not one punch man. Um, you know, I I would say like, oh yeah, you crack it significantly and it like breaks and then it falls or something like that 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 would work but like saying you want to shatter you know i don't know 200 tons of solid rock by punching it <laughs> see i would I mean, even argue that the ability to like you know punch a hole as like a how do you want to do it as you killed something w would be you know something i that wouldn't bother me 
Uh, yeah, I'd argue if they do enough damage and roll not like, well enough, I'd like, be punch like, a hole, yeah. yeah. Yeah, not yeah, like, like disintegrate yeah, the entire goes... thing, but, yeah, yeah. you know, you want to shatter an abnormally li- large chunk out of this thing. I feel like yeah. you can shatter a leg. Yeah. You definitely you know, if you're like a monk real life, and you're like, but... yeah. If you want to Kalimar it. it. <laughs> you, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where it's, um, it, even considering in this case a monk, I feel like that would be within reason to expect like something like that. I feel like they should be able to shatter a leg. Especially considering how many attacks they've already had on that creature. I mean, because, you know, considering a battle, a battle is fluid. It's not, you know, like turn, 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 turn. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like everyone moving about in this chaotic maelstrom. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, do you ever Sorry, think I didn't about... mean to cut you off, though. No, it's okay. Do you ever think about, like, how chaotic, or like, a battle is? Because, like, we do it in, like, six-second intervals. Like, these six seconds are all happening at, like, basically the same time, all on top of each other. So this is just complete. It's fun, it's fun to think about sometimes. Anyway, um, so moving on, kind of going off of the if you hit a nat 20 can you shatter a golem's leg um so this is something which is an example of what i'm talking about which is kind of like bending the rules for funsies um and this example is so common that i think it barely registers for most of us but it does count um and that's natural ones and 20s which technically don't really do much outside of combat but it's a widely adopted homebrew rule that if you like that one on something you do fuck it up even if it's not in combat if you now 20 you do it super good even if it's not in combat so you get like a little bit extra a little bit less um so do you guys as dms like normally indulge in this do you think it makes it more fun is it too much to keep track of i admit i do it but i'm not 100 consistent i don't think it was on this discord but i i know serenity has heard me a few times profess my hatred for critical failures unless you're a halfling and then in which case you deserve every critical failure you get why are you racist against halflings well i'm not they have natural lucky that means they have to roll two ones in a row in order to get a natural one that is truly Mm -hmm. unlucky yeah it's it's literally a one in um for me though yeah for me it's that whole concept that it feels almost punishing to say be in a combat you're a ranger you roll a nat one and your bowstring breaks it it feels almost you know as a punishment to a player for something that's physically out of their control um well you know in that that that's a viable argument um but sorry um serenity can you repeat that i didn't hear it she said, could, could, should we get a crit? Right, okay. Well, I'm not yeah, saying I mean, we can't get a natural one, but uh, what I'm saying is by definition, the natural one is just an automatic failure. I mean, so yeah, no matter what your bonus is, it's an automatic failure. Even if, you know, like a creature has 10 AC and you have a plus 11 bonus to hit, you roll a one, it automatically misses. Whereas yeah, like- the, oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to say part of like disabling your ability to take an action and locking your action for the next turn, I, I feel is just personally something that is against it. I would defend that once. Your opinion's valid. I respect you. Um, but 
I'll defend them because like even if you're the best person in the world, like you're the best artist in the world, sometimes shit just happens. And I think a big part of DD is the chaos factor. That's why we roll dice instead of just 100 percent narrating what happens. Um oh, yeah. Yeah, so sometimes stuff just happens and it's not necessarily your fault and sometimes stuff goes really well and it's not necessarily your doing. Um, so I don't know, I'm, I'm a fan of natural ones. I think they do fun shit sometimes, even if it's very inconvenient for the players. Sometimes really funny stuff happens because of natural ones. Sometimes really terrible stuff happens because of natural ones. Oh yeah, sometimes you just absolutely. break your bow. Um, but yeah, but then you add, as kind of Serenity was saying, then the other side of that is really great stuff happens because you get natural 20s. So I, I'm a fan of the chaos factor. So I, I'm a fan of the idea of natural 20s and natural ones being instant success, instant failure kind of thing. But there's not always a con with it. There are several times where if you roll a nat 1, it doesn't matter if you have a plus 12 to it and the DC was 10, you still fail it, which I'm fine with. I like mm -hmm. the idea that there is that one in, or that like 5% chance that something you're, you're supposed to be really good at just, oh, something was wrong with it today, you know, you're... you're your voice cracked while you were doing your performance check or something, you know, something it's along those your lines. fault, like a bath flies into your face and screws up yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what I'm not an overly indulgent, I don't know what word I'm going for here. Well, I'm not overly a fan of the like hypercritical failures and hypercritical successes. Uh, that's kind of where I draw the line. The, going back to like the bowstring thing. If you're talking like a level two character and your weapon breaks, rarely do you ever have like two bows on you at level two. So if your bowstring breaks and there's no way to fix it, then you've just crippled one of your players for the rest of this combat because they rolled a natural one. If you're saying your bowstring breaks, you have to take some time to fix it and they have their action on their next turn, that I like. I like the idea of, oh, your bowstring snapped. Oh, you got to really quickly set it. And then on the next turn, they're ready. That I, I think is better. When, you're, when you start nerfing a character because they got unlucky, that's a little too mean-spirited for me. Yeah, but does anyone actually do like your weapon fully braced? Because like I played an archer um, under I've, Serenity I've had DMs and that one. Uh, yeah, but they're just bad DMs. I've, yeah. It, it's, it's DM. that because it's the easiest example to yeah. relay. Um, but I, I've had games where like, a, a, oh, you, you lose, con you, you actually and then you have to go and pick it up and things like that. Yeah, and but it's even just, picking it up, that's, that's a little technically like a free action. Yeah, yeah but you still have um, to you still yeah. have to like move away to object go grab the, grab the grab the object you know so that could provoke an attack of opportunity or something like that um what i'm more of a fan of uh are like homebrewing items to have specific nat 20 nat 1 effects um like you, you roll a nat 20 and your crossbow fires twice or you roll a nat 1 and it shoots you <laughs> Something like that. Like I, I think they do it. I think they do it in Critical yeah. Role, if I remember correctly. It's been a while. I haven't been watching, but um, you know, something along those lines where 
hey, you have this neat item. It does extra stuff on a 20, but it also does negative mm-hmm. stuff on a one. Then I'm fine with the, the like hyper, hyper success, hyper failure. Interesting thoughts. Yeah, I think you've all had um, some good points. I will close that question out by saying one thing that I, one of the reasons why I personally favor like hyper success and hyper failure in combat is because combat gets so fucking boring sometimes. Anything that makes it dynamic and interesting is good, in my opinion. Yeah, um, it's 100% that. fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool beanies. Okay, so moving on. So do you guys ever fudge roles as DMs? You can admit it. It's a oh, all the time. Space. <laughs> all the time. All the time. I, I have fudged roles because I'm like, I didn't want this character to die here. Um... Oh no, they they missed. Oh. Or maybe um, I can think of at least one time where there was supposed to be like a significant challenge in the party's way, and I fudged up just to kind of increase the sense of urgency because it was a t- it was like a timed thing that they were doing, mm-hmm. and if they blew through this, then that kind of just kills the pacing, and you know you don't feel as pressured. Right. So I I, fudge, I think I fudged up something so that they took a little bit of extra damage or I don't I don't even remember this was months ago that this happened, um, but yeah if it if it benefits the story I will one hundred percent fudge a role if it's not something that's gonna be like a life or death situation mm-hmm. or in very rare cases oh this thing that does a lot of damage crit and one shot a character. Yeah, they they actually just rolled one under your HP. Uh, <clears throat> You're almost like, dead. The goo. Yeah. Though to be sorry. Though to be though to be fair, uh, that wasn't like a, you know. Anyway, yeah, I'm not gonna. I I I've lied about it. Uh, let's see, dice rolls as far as like playing a dice game in a game like. Because if you didn't, then the player wouldn't have won, you know, the gold they needed. And Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, if you don't take liberties, especially if you're running like a uh, pre-made module and stuff like that, gold can be kind of hard to come by to actually buy fun things. Um, So, yeah, it was just a matter of playing a game of dice and, you know, the player won and won a bet and won an extra 100 gold. So, I mean, stuff like that I find is harmless. Um, mm-hmm. I can't say anything as far as like death or stuff like that because you know I I, I don't remember any instances. I can't <laughs> think of any instances, but it's just you know goes to show it's something I really just don't think about. It's just you kind of yeah. do on the spot. It really is kind of instinctual, like especially as you're DMing, because um, you're kind of just making stuff up as you go along. Like you do plot a lot of stuff out, but a lot of it's improv. Um, yeah, you kind I've of definitely... draw like a giant squiggly line and you hope someday fall on somewhere within that area. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I've definitely fudged rules before. Um, I think almost all of it like in the player's favor where I'm like, oh, I made this monster way too strong. <laughs> Whoops. Um, that and, does and, happen. And the opposite too. I've actually things. 
yeah, Lenny Scale things. And the opposite too. I've actually I was actually um just talking to Chad recently about this, where like you're in the middle of a combat and the car is just absolutely killing it. So you just give the monster like 50 extra XP and nobody knows. Um <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway. Cool beanies. Um, so did you do so do you guys ever let players do like mechanically improbable things because they rolled really well and they really wanna. I think that goes back into that rule of cool where it, it yeah, reasonably <laughs> it, it, yeah it's got to be within reason. Again mm -hmm. I go back to that example you're not going to punch someone off the planet to the moon. But, but why I you mean, want to? I think it would be awesome. You know, you know how do you want to do it? I uppercut this guy so hard he flies to the moon. I mean, but okay, he, fl he flies 10 no. feet into the air and then falls back down to the ground. <laughs> definitely <laughs> maybe get some air time, lands on the ground, and you see a pair of boots. Oh, I mean, no, no, something no, no. like that, you I think, what? would be he cool. Falls, he falls into a pond perfectly into the reflection of the moon. He's there falling you go. into the moon. There you go. Anyway, <laughs> fairy tales. Uh, yeah, exactly. Cool beanies. Um, do, do, do. So do you ever, guys ever like just kind of fuck with stuff to move the plot forward? Like it's kind of railroading, but is it okay sometimes? Is, is it always railroading? Sometimes we just really a, need to get people um, kidnapped or moved to this area, you know? I think that gets onto a whole new different topic. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of akin. I, I think... I generally try to avoid directly railroading because mm -hmm. that's a slippery slope into the DM takes over the game and the players don't get to decide anything anymore. But like if you're if you have a bunch of downtime and players aren't like using it or doing anything or you know they've decided to spend another 3 weeks in that desert city for no apparent reason <laughs> Um, then it's nice to kind of give them a a sort of hey hey look look at this I got I got a plot hook I got a plot hook here for you you know and just kind of tempt them to try and get the story going. Mm -hmm. um, that I don't see so much as railroading as isn't as more of just hey here's a plot hook, pull on it please. But if you don't, please. something might happen. It depends on your party. Um... You know, it's it's one of those for I, I reference like the pre-made stuff a lot, but they're kind of designed to railroad people into a story and kind of designed with instances to force parties along. And while that's not a good thing, it's also not a bad thing, because sometimes, you know, we do get stagnant and spend four hours shopping in a store because we want to find that very special thing when we should be, you know, noticing that guy that passed behind the store that may have you know took something and we were too busy you know haggling with the shopkeep to get 25 gold off of a potion <laughs> so i mean I, I, yeah it, it's one of those where it's just a very dangerous thing and i kind of go back to that rule is don't tell the party yeah don't tell the party just don't don't tell the party anything guys I mean, just, just well no don't it's not that but i mean you know, put that sense of urgency and don't say, hey, you guys need to go do this, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. 
Generally, I think like for major story beats, the all roads lead to Rome approach works best. Whereas like if you really need the players to get somewhere, you can figure out how to get them yeah. there. As a player, I have to trust you to be able to mm -hmm. set Move the road in front of me to get to where you want me to be. Um, and, you know, as a player, that that's kind of the end goal is you have to trust the DM to take what you're giving them and mm -hmm. translate that into a plot point and a coordinate to get to where you want that character to be. Yeah. As far as like location, not like development or story, but like physical location. Also that. Also that. <laughs> In some cases, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, collaborative storytelling. Um, okay, cool beans. And I think that just about wraps us up. Do you have any closing remarks on uh, mechanics versus story? Um, I don't know. I think we're good. That's fine because we are out of time. Um, <laughs> thank you guys for joining me today. Thank you uh, to everyone watching. Thank you to Haley, Harley, Haley, um, for sending a question. If anyone watching has questions, please uh, just like shout them in the chat. We'll get to them or join our Discord. You can DM me directly. I'm cool on Discord, I promise. My icon's a chicken. You will recognize me immediately. <laughs> uh, tune back in next Tuesday for the next roll for, uh, for the next, um, what's the damage? Then on Friday for the next roll for damage. Um, then get really excited because our Halloween game is coming up. It's going to stream on the 31st. It's very fun. Um, we're all in it. I'm in it. Jake's not in it. Um, Sarani's there, obviously. <laughs> it's really, it was great. I don't remember much of it, but it was very fun. Um, check out our store. We still got lots of cool merch, including the t-shirt that I modeled for everyone last week. Thank you to um, Lady Meows and Sunbird for doing our logo. Yeah, that's the word for it. I almost said spread. I don't know why that's the word that came to me. Thank you for doing our logo and our theme song. I'm tired, obviously, so I'm going to go play Hades. Um, thank you. We love you. Good night. <laughs>